I don't care. I don't mind looking stupid. Like, holy crap. I got sports center clip of the week one time for doing the worm in the flat bottom when I crashed. So I don't yeah. mind. I don't <laughs> mind looking stupid. Here we go. We are we are live. Uh, another op- episode of Open Action with John McLean, presented by Arms Corps. And this episode, super excited to have my good buddy uh, Morgan Wade on. So Morgan is a pro BMX rider. It's it's we, we're gonna have to talk about how we met each other because it, it's one of the most <laughs> random places that I think we could have met, and the way we did. But uh, one of the highlights of your career was that you were the 2013 X Games Big Air gold medalist and you also won a a gold medal in like some uh was it the doubles yeah um in like 2015 or 16 right so so you got some you got some x game medals underneath your belt um you've just got i mean you've got a pretty pretty fun career pretty uh you know that that you have um and then now you get to go on these these tours and stuff like that so uh thank you so much for for being on the show man i appreciate you taking time to to sit down and chat it's a blast to to get to, to do stuff like this sit down and chat and and uh, potentially reach a, uh, a demographic that I that I don't get to get to uh, to reach very often. So it's 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 cool. I, I really love the industry and uh, and it's fun to be a part of it. Anyway, I can. And and you've got some pretty close connections with some of the people that my myself and even Kelly are are uh, aware of. With with CMC was uh, mm-hmm. the the connection that Kelly had with you, and then Vortex is yeah. is the one that obviously we have. And and it was funny because. <laughs> so the way I got to meet Morgan was that he came through my little town of Chillicothe, Missouri that I live in now with his um with a tour uh, yeah. that he was doing of of uh it was a, it's like a Christian extreme yeah. sports like uh, based thing, right? Sure, yeah. And and you were doing shows for the high schoolers there and then you did like a show at the end of the school day for anyone that wanted to show up and you guys gave you some testimony and then after that you guys just I mean you had a full on setup in the gymnasium yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I remember I was we got to go to different schools around around the, the city there, like throughout the week and, and surrounding uh, the surrounding area and kind of, you know, just put on a show, give off. A, a, it's the, the school shows are more of like just give off a positive, you know, message, you know, and and uh, and, and then get them to come to the, the big main event show that we were able to set up more ramps and have a good time. And, and uh, you know, it, it was very upfront. It's not a bait and switch by any means to get us to, to hear us talk about God or anything like that. But it was definitely like we everyone knew what it was going into it, but it was cool get to um, to get to have some of the guys give their, their testimony and whatnot and, and just let everyone know what Jesus has done for us. And we want to we spread that and, and, and share that with other people. So it's an awesome way to use our talent riding bikes that God gave us the talent to do that so we can do it and show off and get people's attention and everyone can have a good time and then get to meet, meet, make new cool friends like yourself. So it was awesome getting to see you out there. It was weird. Yeah, though. It was crazy. People like, Oh, I see that, uh, that vortex sticker in your helmet. What's going on there? <laughs> Cause I have a big vortex sticker right here in front of my helmet. But yep. That was the connection. Oh, well, that was it. That was, that was what attracted me to. It. I was like, so, so explain. Cause like normally, like I understand like the idea of like pro athletes and when they put logos on somewhere for the yeah, other yeah. people to see them wearing, there's normally some reason behind it, whether or not it's a, yeah. a paid thing or even if it's just right. like I do, I love this company. I know the people, they're awesome. You know, I want to support right. them. Right. Right. But yeah, seeing, seeing the, that logo was like, Hey, so, so what's up with the vortex logo? Yeah. And then you told we'll me that uh, Ruben, back, the big Noveski on this side over here. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh, somewhat of a, of, a, of an oddity in in the BMX world, being my sponsors, half of my sponsors are gun company sponsors. So it's like, you know, like I got Noveski, Vortex, CMC. I'm on Team Multicam, uh, which is Cry Precision, obviously, and then uh, 
dead air suppressors, like silencers and stuff. So I get to do a lot of fun stuff. And I've worked I've worked with Silencer Co. in the past and 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 a few other deals. I've met a lot of fun people along the way and and we can get into how how my introduction to the gun world happened too, if you want to down the line. But uh, yeah, I, it's a little bit, I'm a little bit of a strange, a strange dude when it comes to like my sponsors, because typically extreme sports athletes aren't sponsored by, you know, gun companies. And that world is mm, fairly, you know, left leaning. So it's, it's not necessarily frowned upon or maybe just frowned upon. I don't know. A lot of people don't hold the same views as we do. So uh, it's interesting getting to kind of, you know, be able to put something out there that that not everyone is is used to seeing. Yeah, no, it wasn't, and absolutely, it's it was um, it was cool to see that kind of relationship from someone that was in the extreme sports and then also being so into firearms openly. You know, like it's one thing to just kind of be like, yeah, I own a gun, but I don't really talk about it, and like it's kind of one of those things. Like, well, if you're not openly supporting it, then you're kind of actually kind of hurting the situation, right? Like, right, right, right. Yeah. It, like the worst thing that a good person can do is to do nothing in a time where it's needed. Because right. you basically just let evil take over, right? So the fact that uh, to see someone openly being like, oh, hell yeah, I, I, I rock, I, I love firearms, I like shooting, I think our Second Amendment's important. Like, it's, it's a cool different dynamic, and I think it, it's also something that a lot of firearms owners can get behind. You know, it's, it's I don't know, it's... Um, not to make it as like a, uh, like it's a choice that you're trying to to capitalize on from the financial standpoint or a fan base standpoint. But it, it almost says like to me, it, it says that when when you're willing to make a stand about something that's as a hot as much of a hot topic as firearms is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for someone to actually just come out and be like, yeah, I support firearms. I love firearms. I love our Second Amendment. I shoot guns all the time. Like that says so much more about your character because all you're saying is you're not saying that. Well, if you don't like firearms, you're wrong and you're an idiot. All you're saying is that I support it, yeah. and if yeah. you want to if you want to have that discussion, I'm more than happy to have that discussion. You know, it's like it just says so much more for uh, for me from a person that's that's willing to step up and just be like, right? Yeah, this right. is yeah. who I am, and this is what I like. If if you don't like it, you don't have to like it. Yeah, but at least respect that I do, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, and that goes that goes hand in hand with my faith in Jesus Christ as well. Like that's something that I I got proudly wear on my sleeve as far as like what I believe in. But I'm not you know like necessarily ramming it down people's throats. But if you want to talk about it, hey, I'd love to talk about it. I like talking about mm-hmm. the good things in my life, and I want other people to have good things too. So it's it's a uh, it's the same type of thing. Exactly what you're saying with like the firearms industry, and obviously. There's a lot of uh, negativity around that right now that is very uh, biased and un, uh, undeserved from from the community. Um, so, like, obviously, you know, it, firearms are demonized in 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 the, our current atmosphere of the country because you know certain people in power don't want uh, their subjects to fight back, do they? So it's kind of like. But they hide that with, under the guise of, but it's for the children. It's safer for the children. And, you know, whether or not they're uh, behind some of these horrible things that are happening to, to help them try to prove their point or not, uh, it doesn't really matter. They're still um, feeding the public a lie. And mm-hmm. that lie is that firearms are inherently evil when uh, an inanimate, inanimate object is not evil. It's the person that uses the object that is evil. And we should be really looking at the, the users that are, that are doing the horrible things uh, rather than the tools they're using to do it. So, 
Well, uh, so yeah, I mean, we've, I've discussed this before where it's the idea, like when I, when I was an EMT in Vegas, you know, I did that for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran probably 50 to a hundred drunk driving car accidents to one gunshot mm-hmm. call ever. So, but like, no one's trying to take away my car keys. No one's trying right. to limit vehicles from going over a hundred miles an hour. Right. But you know, it was, it was just like, and the hypocrisy that comes on too from this, this, uh, the standpoint is just always what flabbergasts me for all of these, these people, whether or not they're, they're celebrities or whatever, like they all say that guns are bad and we should give them up as they are protected by an army of armed security personnel. It's like, so, so you, you know, what's valuable to you, which is why you have people around you that can protect you. And yet, you're not able to, or you're not willing to admit that. Hey, maybe maybe one of the things we, it's you know the, the other thing too is like that definition of insanity, right? Is the same do the same thing over and over and expect different results. Different, yeah. I actually just used that. My my nephew was yelling at his dog, and the dog wasn't listening, and he kept saying his name, Rocco, Rocco, over and over again. I was like, hey, hey, do you know the definition of insanity? And he was like, what? I was like. <laughs> doing the same thing over again expecting a different result i was like the dog clearly isn't coming man so let's just pipe it down a little bit <laughs> yeah exactly right he, but you know he, he it, it, like, oh gosh yeah but same exact thing and you know but the war on drugs obviously that was solved by making all drugs illegal right so there's no more drug problems because we made them all illegal um i'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing having certain drugs be illegal but i am saying that the approach I think was the problem. The approach was wrong. Making something illegal doesn't stop people from breaking the law if they're going to break the law anyway. But you know, we could fight obesity by, by making spoons illegal, but it's kind of the same logic. It doesn't really add up, but people don't really want to take the time. I think it's in intellectual laziness is what it amounts to. They don't want to take the time to figure out and actually think about the situation from a point of view of rationality. That and yeah, I think in general, I don't even think it's just mental lazy. I think it's laziness in general, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if let's be honest, we're we are creatures that seek comfort and an easier life. I mean, there's a reason why we all live in houses now, and that's because we found out that caves sucked. But there's a reason we started living in caves. It's because we realized that being out in the open sucked, right? So like we're always trying to find ways to better ourselves, make it easier for ourselves. And so when you get into these positions of like, oh, I mean. I could go out and work 40 hours a week or I could do something stupid and then try and collect disability and unemployment and just kind of chill at home all day and do it. You know, it's like, well, of course, like who wouldn't be like, yeah, oh yeah, I want to get paid to just sit around and do nothing. But, you know, and that's, that's kind of something that I feel is, is lacking, which sucks is that that work ethic is no longer there anymore. Like I'm, I'm not the kind of person, like if I lost my job tomorrow, like I wouldn't just be sitting back and being like, well, time to collect that unemployment and just kind of hang out. Like I'd be like, no, let's let's make something happen. Whether or not I'm going to try and find a job somewhere, or try and create something, or whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's an interesting time we're living in. But luckily, we still have badass people like you that go out there and do these crazy things for awesome purposes. And and uh, let's talk about how the hell do you get into riding BMXs and doing what you've done in your career. Um, because, like, I, I can tell you, here's my experience with extreme sports, right? I thought I wanted to be a skateboarder for so long when I was, like, uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, just getting in high school and stuff. And and 
the exact moment when I realized I no longer wanted to be a skateboarder was the first time I tried to do a board slide. The board came out from underneath me and I landed on my spine on the back of that pipe. I laid there on the ground thinking, nope, I no longer want to be a skateboarder. <laughs> I, this this hurts and I don't want to do this anymore, right? So That goes back to the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> Let me try yeah, that but... <laughs> But uh, so so explain to us, I mean, how how did you come up with the one for the obviously like I I enjoyed riding a bike, but how did you come up with the love of BMX? And then how do you get, you know, from from just like, okay, I've learned how to ride a bike now to, hey, I bet I could jump over that car, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. Right, right. Well, it's 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 a slow process. I mean, it's like time on tools, a you got time on tools and then it's just practice, 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 which also is time on tools, same thing. Um, the more you ride, the more comfortable you get on it and you use baby steps, you work your way up from the bottom up. And I mean, I learned how to ride a bike when I was probably five years old and we always had ramps and little like, you know, a log and a board on it in the yard and we're launching off it or get the saw horses out of the, out of the, the shed and put some board and try to ride and balance and whatnot. And, um, when I was about 14 is when I got my first legit freestyle bike that was like for tricks. And I actually started riding uh, the flat ground stuff in, on the road in front of my house because we didn't have like a, a paved driveway. We just had like rocks. So I would go out on the actual road, uh, which is just like, you know, farm to market road. And I could see, you know, nice far distance, both directions. So I would, when there's no cars coming, I would just go out there and, and try to learn tricks and stuff. And I did that for probably about a year. And uh, the closest skate park was was in Dallas. We live in Tyler, Texas. It was in Dallas about, you know, an hour and a half, two hours away. And we would make like one once a month, we would go up there to Dallas and ride the skate park. And uh, that just kind of like solidified my love for a ramp riding, which we had. I built a ramp with my brother in our yard, too, back then around the same time. So we had one little ramp in the yard that we would play on. Uh, that was an actual quarter pipe and it was built terribly, but it worked. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just like, hey, let's let's try this. We did what we thought how we thought you, you would, you would build it, you know, and, and it, it worked, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, why would we, <laughs> we got the boards to bend. We use three quarter plywood, which is super hard to bend. First of all, we always like when we build ramps now you do multiple layers of like half inch cause it bends a little easier and you can get a nice smooth radius out of it. But we use three quarters. So it's super stiff and we soaked it in the pond for 24 hours. And then it, you know, the water made it bend and Oh gosh. But, uh, <laughs> It's a learning curve too, you know. Obviously, everything's a learning curve. But um, the first well, time and I- you didn't have the internet back then either, so you couldn't yeah. just go on YouTube and say, "How do I, how do I make a quarter pipe or whatever?" Like, no, uh, we, I just, mean, that, that's- we had seen uh, several, you know, BMX stunt shows um, before that. They came through town, and, and uh, the the very first time I ever saw it was actually Matt Hoffman uh, had a stunt team called the Sprocket Jockeys, and they went to the Texas State Fair and did. The, the whole fair it's like the the largest fair in, in the world basically and uh it runs for 24 days straight i believe and they were out there doing demos back in the early 90s and then we saw it and we were, i was like oh my goodness this is amazing and uh that was what really piqued my interest fast forward a few years when i got my first bike and we tried to build a ramp and stuff and tried we did it but uh uh and it just kind of it's i mean it's downhill from there man i spent a lot of time on that thing i, I would ride for sometimes like 10 hours a day, like four five, six days a week. Once we finally actually got a legit skate park in town in 1998, um, I started riding in 97. That's when I got my first, you know, freestyle bike that like I was talking about. 
Then we got a skate park a year later. And that's where I really shifted from the flat ground tricks and dabbling with ramps to actually just pretty much mainly riding ramps. Uh, Noble E. Young Park, which unfortunately is not there anymore. But uh, that place, man, I spent some time out in that field, in that, that skate park, and just started getting good. And, you know, you, you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And then I, I started realizing that I was I was better than most of the other guys because – for whatever reason, it clicked for me. You know, it's not, um, I think there's definitely something to the amount of effort you put in. You can get, you can become good at anything with enough practice, but, uh, there's also natural talent is, is definitely a part of it. Um, and I had some natural talent for it, but I also put in a lot of time and, and work into getting, getting good at it. And I started going to like, you know, local events, little like BMX, like amateur BMX contests. And every single amateur contest I ever entered, I won. And then uh, fast forward a few years, I actually entered a pro contest and didn't do bad. I, I was like, well, probably going to do terrible. But I actually got, I was like fourth place, one spot off podium. And that was against guys that like, there were guys riding in that contest that I had their posters on my wall. So, you know, like guys that are really like, like superstars to, to me in the BMX world. And um, I've, that was where I figured out I could really hang with these guys. And I was like, oh, okay. And then just kind of kind of went from there. And, you know, a couple of years later, I, I was able to get an invite to X Games. And I've been riding X Games uh, from 2003 was my first X Games. And I've ridden all of them but one, which was, I believe, 2010? 2010 or 2011, one of the other. But it was because I ruptured my spleen and I physically couldn't ride. So I was healing. But, yeah. Okay, so like, ex explain to people, explain to people that aren't into the extreme sports and stuff. Like, what? Uh, how would you uh, characterize, or what would you like parallel the X Games to compared to like a, another, like you know, regular sport that most people know oh, of? Like, what? What kind of when you're talking football, about the level? For example, uh, the X Games would be the Super Bowl. It's like that's the big one. It's it's the contest. It's the pinnacle. Uh, currently, uh, we have now we have the Olympics. BMX freestyle BMX is in the Olympics now. Uh, so that one is kind of. I think that one's kind of taken taken the lead as far as like what the pinnacle uh, event in the in the sport would be. But again, that's only every once every four years, and they have all the contests leading up to it that are nowhere near as big as like the X Games would be. But the X Games definitely still holds. Um, clout as far as like what it is and how it's it's respected amongst the sport. Now you've got, of course, you know you got the hardcore guys that are like, oh, the X Games dudes, what are their sellouts? It's not hardcore, whatever. Like, whatever. There's lots of guys that are core that ride the X Games as well, and, and it's it's a great um, vehicle to expose people that aren't familiar with the sport to the sport. And that also invites sponsorships into the sport, which in turn makes it so that guys can ride and not have to have a regular job and it can be a career. So why would you ever turn that down? If you're in your right mind, you know, most of the guys that are griping about it and complaining about it are the dudes that still have to, you know, work at Chipotle and, and <laughs> the, the bike shop in their spare time. So. I'm not hating on right, that either. Right. I mean, like I, I love the hustle. Those guys, there's so many dudes that are they're so rad, and I wish more guys could uh, exclusively ride for a living than do. But uh, I'm one of the the fortunate few that I that's my job. It's my main job to do that, and mm -hmm. I do a lot of shows now, like exhibitions and stuff, uh, more so than competitions. I am 
I am and have been for the last handful of years the oldest athlete competing in the X Games. My dad uh, pointed that out to me in, I think, 2017. He's like, hey, you're the oldest guy out here because, you know, like, like <laughs> I think I think it was around the time that Bob Burnquist retired from competing. Uh, and I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, you know, obviously my dad brought up he's like, that's really cool. And I was just like, oh, I'm old. Oh, no. But, you know, I can still hang. I can still hang with the youngins. So, it, yeah. Well, and someone's got to, you know, put those youngins in their place every now and then be like, hey, boys, watch this. Let me show you how it's really done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, I, I used to always ride like the park event, the, the, the freestyle BMX park events at X Games. And I, I have a silver medal from way back when, <laughs> you know, 17 years ago, whatever, 2006, I believe it was. Um, and then I got into Mega Ramp, the, the big the big air ramp, which is a, a, just a spectacle, basically. I mean, it's an 80-foot roll-in for anyone that's not familiar. So you start off 80 feet off the ground. You roll into the steep roll-in, and then you have a 65- to 70-foot gap. There's a jump. And then that goes into a 30-foot tall quarter pipe, which is just, you know, if you think of a, a pipe, cut it into quarters, that's a quarter pipe, right? So mm-hmm. – and that's just see how high you can go. And we're going like 60 miles an hour down this thing. So it's just, it's hang on and white knuckle it if you really want to have fun. Some guys are uh, a little more timid to go high. So they put their effort into like doing crazy gnarly tricks, but not quite as high. So they'll still get a really good score because the trick difficulty was like through the roof. But then you got guys that more focus on like, how high can I go? Might not be as crazy of a trick, but I'm 10 feet higher. And that holds just as much weight as a harder trick. So, and I fit into the, the latter category. I like to go high and try to do big tricks. So it's, it's a, it's a good combo if you can make it work. And I've got, I got a couple of uh, a little bit of hardware to, to, to show for it. But like I always say, like when people bring that up, I'm always like, yeah, I get lucky every now and then. So, (laughs) well, okay. So then, that 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 was going to be my next question was because like, what, the, um, what was it like the first time you went down that big ramp? Like, cause like I, the first time I ever went snowboarding, right? And like you, you kind of learn how to do the falling leaf, right? You just kind of let. Yeah. And the first time I was like, you know what? Let me just bomb it down this mountain and see what it's like. I'm not gonna lie. Like there is a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going too fast, and I just like, <laughs> I, okay, I got to give in. I got to slow down, right? I've made but when you're on a ramp I've like that, like yeah, yeah, when no- you're on a ramp like that, I got to assume there is no like once you start, there's no like, oh, I got to slow. Yeah, you're, you're you're in for it, right? Yeah, so ride at that point. Once you once you go there's no turning back. Um, it really, so 2006 was the very first mega ramp event. And I've been fortunate enough. I've, I've ridden in all of them except for the year that I hurt my spleen. Um, which we can get to that later. If you want to talk about that, that's fine too. But, um, (laughs) I've been, so I've ridden all of the big air, the BMX big air events. And, uh, the first year they had, they had the ramp there, I believe was Oh three. And they just did like a demo on it. The skaters did a demo. The, the skateboard guys did a demo on it. And then the next year, I believe they had an actual skate contest. And there was one bike rider. This guy by the name of uh, Mike Escamilla. His nickname's Rooftop. He's a stuntman. He's been in like all like the big Marvel movies and stuff. He does like stunts for a lot of those. I think in in the uh, – this is a little bit off topic. But the uh, was it Guardians of the Galaxy, Rocket the Raccoon walks across his face. He's one of the, the Ravengers – He's one of the dead. Oh, but uh, a little side note there. Anyway, he, the stunt man of BMX 
you know, Mike Escamilla rooftop, he did rode the ramp. And of course it was a spectacle because it's like, oh yeah, the stunt man, of course he's going to ride that ramp. Like that's ridiculous. And kind of like, I think proved to ESPN that bikes can ride this. And I don't know why they would have thought we couldn't because bikes literally ride all the same stuff skateboards skate on. So it's, yeah. they really go hand in hand. There's no, there's not really, as far as the, the facilities we use, there's not really a difference for bikes and skateboards. Um, it's just a matter of the, the, the equipment you're using on it. Um, and a couple you know, a, two years later, Oh six, they decided to actually put together a BMX big air event. And they had three guys that were down to ride the thing, just three guys. And it was, um, Kevin Robinson, uh, Alan Cook, and Chad Keggy. Those three names. I don't expect you to know who they are, but they were like – those dudes are big, big big names in the sport of BMX. They're like the, the, the pro, pro dudes, you know, and they're fearless, absolutely fearless. All of them are, you have that stuntman gene thing going on too. So they're, they just go fast into the moon, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Of course they're riding this ramp. But they only had three guys. So it was like they were like, well, we need a bigger field if we're going to have a contest. So they uh, basically opened it up. They had open practice on the ramp for BMX. If you were invited to the X Games in any discipline for BMX, you were invited to come and try the ramp out and see if you wanted to compete in it. And it was one of those things where, like, they said, hey, ride it. It's open all week. If you like it, you're in. That was that was how you got into that event. And uh, out of everyone that went down there and wrote, a lot of dudes were like, Oh, new, new event. I'm on it. This is going to be sick. I'm going to do this, this, this. They had all the, all these guys were talking like mad, mad, you know, mad talk about what they were going to be doing on this ramp. And then like, like you say, the first time, like they went and, and wrote it or looked down it, half of them didn't even drop in when they got up there and actually <laughs> looked down at it. They're like, Ooh, no. <laughs> and then the other half wrote it a little bit and were just like, this isn't for me. And, I didn't even want to ride the thing. I was like, yeah, I don't even need to go up to the top. I know I don't want to ride that. And uh, at the time I was uh, riding for Etney's shoes and the, the BMX team manager for Etney's, a fellow by the name of John Pova, he was like, Hey, you should uh, try that out. Like it's open practice. Go try. It. I think it's right up your alley. Like, and he had told me before he knew about it before I did. So he was like, when I was headed out there, he goes, Hey, bring your full face. Cause you had to have a full face helmet to, to ride the ramp. Mm. So bring your full face to the X games. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I have one, but I, I hardly ever use it. I mean, um, and so I brought my full face and he's like, you should, you should ride this thing. And I, I had an idea about it. You know, he had mentioned it, but, uh, and I was like, nah, I'm just not, I don't think this for me, man. He was like, just do me a favor, go up there, drop in one time. If you drop in one time and you don't like it, I won't ever bother you about it again. But I think this is really up your alley. I think you'll, cause I, at that point in time, I was kind of known as the dude that would go pedal as fast as I could at something and just see how far I could go. I was the gap, the gap guy. Like I would ride the park course, which park course has lots of different ramps. Like you'd see a skate park set up in whatever fashion and you can ride it the, you know, quarter box jump spine quarter, whatever, or you can try to go, Hey, jump from this ramp to that ramp over there. And that was more my style. I was like, I want to see if I can go fast enough to go from that place all the way over there and, and make that distance. And that was kind of what made my riding stand out a lot when I would ride those events. And, um, so he was like, I think it's up your alley because you're like balls to the walls type rider. And I was like, okay, I went up there 
And I looked down that thing and I was just like, mm, no. <laughs> and I went back down the elevator and I was like, I'm good. And he was like, no, 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 drop in. I'm not, he, he, dude, he got on me, pestered me until I dropped in. I was like, okay. And literally the only reason I dropped in is like, so he'd leave me alone. I was like, just to shut him up. Yeah. We'll shut, I'm just show him that this isn't for me. I'll drop in, I'll jump it. I'll turn around the corner and I'm done. And I dropped in and it's just like, you know, you're just hanging on and just, I mean, it's, it's like faster than like, it's faster than is normal. Like, so it felt very abnormal, but my goodness, was that fun. And then when I jumped, there's no way you're not going to clear the jump as long as you don't touch your brakes. So I cleared the jump mm. and then I went into this quarter pipe and I was dragging brakes on that too. Cause I didn't want to go super like, I didn't know where I was going to go. And I took off right. this thing. I think I went the first time I ever hit it. I think I went about 13 feet over the coping of the 30, 27 and a half foot quarter pipe. So yeah, 27 and a half foot coping is the bar at the top of the, the, the ramp that you you know, put your pegs on or whatever grind on. And then mm -hmm. I went 13 feet above that, which on normal ramps, which would be, you know, like mini ramps or like a seven, eight foot quarter pipe, 13 feet is ridiculous air. Like that's ridiculous. If you can go 13 feet out of a seven or eight foot quarter, like that's something special. Like it's not many people have aired that high out of, out of normal size quarter pipes. And here I am, this is the first time I've ever touched this thing. And it was no effort at all. And I went that high, even dragging brakes, trying to slow down. I went that high and I was instantly hooked. I was just like, this is for me. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> and I was like, got to the bottom, grabbed my bike, went straight to the top and did it again. And I just, I was on repeat. It was boo, boo, boo. And there was like not very many other dudes were actually riding it other than the three guys that I mentioned that were actually in already because they had ridden similar ramps, whether it be uh, there was like a, a, a place called Point X. Uh, it was like a ramp camp in uh, Southern California. And then there was like the boom, boom, hug jam, Tony Hawk's tour that they did. They had a big ramp like that. That's where the other guys all rode those big, big ramps. And I'd never touched them, but man, it was so much fun. And they had to literally, they closed practice and they're like, Hey, you got to get out. And I was like, no, 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 I got another run. And I went, I, I went and took another couple runs, you know, like sneaking as much as I could. They had to pry me off of the thing. So it was kind of like literally downhill from there. And uh, sure enough, I was the only other rider that agreed to ride the contest. So there were four riders. I was literally the only one that got in through the practice day. Nobody else did. There's one guy, a really good buddy of mine named Koji Kraft, who rode practice and he really wanted to be in, but they didn't let him because he's like, he's crazy. And he knows he is. So <laughs> I'm comfortable saying that here. Uh, Koji, I, I love, absolutely love Koji, but I think the ESPN was afraid that he would get too rowdy on it and, and he, mm -hmm. he would have killed it. He would have absolutely killed it if they let him ride. But, um, yeah, for whatever reason, he, he, he didn't get a spot. But, uh, yeah, four of us. That was it. And I got fourth place in the contest. So, and I didn't care. I didn't care one bit. Because I, I, I literally, I'm just like, it's like flying. Like, where else can you fly with no effort on a bicycle? Like, it was great. And sure enough, you know, over the years, um, I – fairly quickly a few years into it started became the guy that I was actually airing higher than everybody else. So I had, I actually currently hold the highest air record in competition on the mega ramp across all sports. So higher than skateboards, higher than anything that's ridden that ramp. So yeah. Yeah. Like take that you young folks. <laughs> like I said, I, I get lucky every now and then. 
But the, the official the official height I think is twenty three eleven is what the X Games puts it at. But uh, they're I'm not sure how they measure height and stuff. Uh, the one that they said was that high, I didn't think was that high when I watched the video. I was like, oh okay. And then they said it was that high. I was like, I'm gonna argue with it because it kind of makes me look good. So why would I be like, no, I'm not that good. <laughs> but uh, right, I'll take it. But uh, my standards, uh, it, it didn't seem as high. But in practice, I have gone uh, about 25. So, and that technically 25 foot is, I believe, the second highest error ever ever done in in the world in BMX. So under Matt oh Hoffman. man, yeah, but under Matt Hoffman. So there's there's some controversy with the, uh, another rider, but we don't need to get into that. So, but Matt Hoffman is definitely the pioneer of big air riding. And, and that's actually Danny way attributes him, his riding the big quarter pipe to where he got the idea for the mega ramp when he built the first mega ramp. Uh, okay. Okay. And, and, and that's so, my boss. I ride for Hoffman bikes and I, I, he's, and that's what I was just about to say. Cause I've, I've heard you say that you ride a Hoffman, Hoffman BRX yep. bike. So yep, I um, a, a signature bike through, through Hoffman, the Wade frame. So, I'm pretty proud of it. So, well, uh, for those that don't know, real quick, let's let's talk about. You know, you, I could go buy a bike at Walmart, but obviously, it's not entirely going to be set up for right. BMX riding and, and all that kind of stuff. So, what is it about a Hoffman bike that uh, makes it stand out and makes it like kind of like the go-to vehicle that you want to use when you go into a competition? Okay, so uh, BMX bikes in general, like what you just mentioned, like there's like your department store bikes, which are like the entry level. That's an entry level bike. So even like the most expensive thing you're going to find at like a Walmart or a Target is still going to be entry level. Um, and it's just because it's it's kind of a package deal. They put together a package of parts and boom, here it is on a platter. When we build bikes, when you're getting into the sport, uh, amateurs or, or professionals, like my, the, where I am right now, I handpick every single part that's on my bike. So every single nut and bolt, everything on my bike is basically a part that I handpicked because that's what I want to ride, whether it be because I like the way that it looks or because there's a functional reason that's different for my riding. And there's tons and tons of different options for geometry and you know height, handlebar height, width, everything tire pressure the side the how fat your tires get when you air them up how skinny they can get the kind of tread that's on them the bearings that you have in them the mechanism in inside your 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 hub that that works as you know in the olden days it was it was a freewheel or you know a, cas a cassette is what we use now which is all, everything's internal all the gears and stuff are internal it, it doesn't change gears but the gear mechanism that goes click 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 and and then binds up when you pedal it's all internal inside the hub now. And actually the hub that I have uh, currently is uh, a company called Fly Bikes. I, I, I don't have a, a, a parts sponsor so I can pick whatever parts I want, which is actually kind of nice. So I have like the bikes, the frame sponsor. But then as far as other stuff, I can really piece together the exact bike that I want. And like the hub that I chose, is, it's, it's this company called Fly Bikes. They make amazing parts. All their parts are, are unreal. And they have a, a different type of drive system that works on magnets instead of springs. So there's no springs in it. It's opposing magnets that make it engage. And it's really loud. I don't know if you remember when I was riding, uh, whenever you came to that show, but my bike was like twice as loud as everyone else's. Like, it's like the sound it makes when, when, when it, when it like coasts. And it's because of that mechanism. I call it a four stroke. Cause like everyone else runs a two stroke. I got a four stroke. It's like, bah! you know, you get a little bit more power out of it. 
But uh, stuff like that. And, you know, like it's just everyone's got their own style and, and what they want. And you piece together bikes. And, and the bike that I have now is probably if I were to price it out, it's probably in, in the you know $2,500 range, which sounds ridiculous for essentially a kid's bike, a trick bike. Because, I mean, it's the same cost. You could buy a motorcycle for that amount of money, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. but it's, again, it's specialized equipment. It's very specialized equipment that we use. And, and when you get, it doesn't matter what sport you're into, firearms, for example, you can go off the deep end with specialized equipment for firearms. And everyone knows, like, when you start talking about, oh, what kind of glass are you going to put on that rifle? You're going to spend as much money on the glass or more than you did on the, on the rifle in, in most cases. So it's like... The same, the same thing is just a different industry, you know, and, and, and believe it or not, there's, there's a lot of drama in my, in the BMX industry and, you know, but there's, thankfully there's no drama in the gun industry. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure. Right. So it's all, it's the same. It's just, it, it's always the same, same stuff, different, different story basically. But yeah. um, yeah. So when you start getting into it far enough, you'll quickly find out that, a lot of the parts in those entry level bikes will break really quick under the weight. I'm, I'm a big guy. I weigh, you know, 215 pounds and like, I'm pretty hard on parts just because of my body weight. So like I can bend pedals and cranks just from landing hard, you know, like you, you mm-hmm. all your weights are stuff just gives out. So I have stuff that doesn't give out, which is more of a you know specialized part for me, for my style of riding, because it will hold up to the abuse I, I give it basically. So, and it's across. Yeah. Well, it, you can go as deep as you want, man. That's, that's why I use Noveski rifles because I got to have the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And you know what? It's, it's funny. Cause like, um, even when you look at the firearms world too, so like when I was getting into competition shooting, the idea of being like, Oh my God, there's people that spend two or three grand on a pistol. Like, yeah. are they crazy? Yeah. But in reality, when you look at it, because like if you're if you're spending that much money on a product that you know is going to be good and, and last for a while, mm-hmm. then you, you've really got to average it out. It's not a two thousand dollar pistol because if that two thousand dollar pistol lasts you ten years, it, it costs you two hundred dollars a year to have it, right? Which is not an unbelievable like. It's funny because you'll you'll be like, oh my god, I just spent two thousand dollars on a pistol. Well, over the next ten years. Figure out how much you spend on ammo that you don't get to take back home with you. Because when you look at that number, then the two thousand dollar pistol doesn't actually seem that bad. Because you're like, oh my god, I spent I spent ten grand on ammunition over the last ten years, and I don't even get to bring the ammo back. Like it's all in the berm, <laughs> you know. So, like every time you shoot a twenty twenty cent round, you might get to get a ten cent piece of used brass back, but that's it. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and and on top of that, if you've got lower quality um, parts and components, you're going to go through those. You're going to have to buy, replace them. And if you have the high quality stuff, they don't wear out the same. So you don't have to replace it. So it's kind of like spend the money up front or have, you know, what is it? Buy once, cry once type, you know, like you you don't have to go through replacing stuff over and over again in, in some cases. Now, there are some, you know, firearms out there that, that you know will last you and don't cost anything but do you really want to be seen with that that's the next thing <laughs> i won't nickname any names but <laughs> we, we probably all have, have the companies we 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 dislike their their stuff or whatever so we'll just leave that blank fill it fill in yourself right right exactly yeah for sure 
All right, so so we've talked about BMX. We've talked about how you got. Yeah, so I can tell you right now, if I if I got to the top of that ramp, I definitely would be like, mm, yeah, nope, I'm good. Uh, I like the view from up here. Good, funny, funny story about about mega ramp uh, and kind of that that whole like mindset going to like what what you would think. One year was it two thousand seven or eight? It was in Staples Center. It was out in L.A. in the Staples Center. And the mega ramp was in inside the Staples Center. It was really cool because the ramp is so big. Literally, we're taking – we're starting from the, the upper deck, like the nosebleeds where the roll-in starts. And then, you know, it goes down to the whole floor the other side of the, the arena. And uh, Jay Leno used to have like – you know how you'd have comedians that would go out and do little bits where they would go to events. They would go around and talk, interview people, and then they put together their little comedy skit and uh, – and, and then come back and have a little a little piece to put on before the show started or at the start of the show or whatever. He did one on the X Games one year. So he had a, a guy go down, a comedian go down and like go to the different events and make jokes and talk to people and stuff so they could put together a little funny skit for the show. And uh, they showed up at the, the big air ramp during practice. And it was like right as like the BMX practice was kind of finishing up. And I'm I'm one of the only guys that rides like the all of the practices. Like I show up when the practice starts and I leave when it's over because I we get to ride that thing like, you know, one week out of the year. So I try to make the most of it. Right. Because it's mm-hmm. so much fun. And uh, so I'm still hanging around. I'm like the only BMXer still lingering around. There was a couple guys here and there that he came up to and he, he kind of came down to the like the little athlete area where we like were changing tires we pop a tire or getting pads on whatever all of our gears down there and he's kind of going around asking like hey would anyone want to do an interview for the tonight show and uh we have this this idea where we wanted you to put like a little like kid's bell on your handlebars and some tassels on the out of the bar ends and ride the ramp and it would be funny for the skit would anybody be interested in doing that and uh, like most of the guys are like yeah no i'm not doing that that's no and of course i hear this and i'm like oh, yeah i'll do that let's let's go right now <laughs> Like, why the heck not? I don't care. I don't mind looking stupid. Like, holy crap. I got Sports Center clip of the week one time for doing the worm in the flat bottom when I crashed. So I don't yeah. mind I don't <laughs> mind looking stupid. So I was like, Yeah, I'll put these things on my bike and I'll ride it. And he's like, Oh, awesome. Like he's like, You're the first person that's actually agreed to do like this dumb skit. And I was like, All right, let's go. And practice is over. So they're like, Oh, you can't go. And I'm like, No, nah, no, nah, I'm going. So I stuck these things on my bike and the little bell. And he wanted me to jump the ramp hit the quarter pipe and in the air, ding, 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 ring the bell in the air and then basically land and come back and come right to him to do the interview. So it was all one shot. And, uh, I go to the top and they're like, no, no, practice is closed. I was like, ah, rebel run. I just went right past them basically. <laughs> and, uh, so they film this and I come down, I do the thing, ring the bell in the air and stop, come right up to him and stop. And, and he's like, uh, let me ask you a question. What goes through your mind when you're flying through the air up there? And I was like, ah, I mean, it's like it's like flying, so it's fun, really. I mean, not, not I'm just having a good time. And he was like, Have you ever landed on your balls? And I said, <laughs> Yeah. And he was like, Oh no, no, no. He goes, I'll tell you what would be going through my mind. Please don't land on my balls. Please don't land on my balls. And I was like, ha ha ha, or whatever. Like, you clearly don't ride because this is your idea of a joke. So I was like, ah, okay. And he goes, Have you ever landed on your balls? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And, he, and then he, out of nowhere, he just goes, would you be willing to reenact that moment right here, right now for Jay Leno and the rest of America? And he puts the microphone in my face. And I had – I have no idea how my brain actually came up with this so quickly. But I was like, yes, I would be glad to. And he goes like – kind of like 
he thought he was going to like get me to be like, heck no. But I said, yes. And he goes, really? I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and like, he was surprised. And I was like, all right, you ready? And he was like, yeah. And I hit him in the nuts. And like, <laughs> he, he's just like, oh, he like hits the ground. And he's like, oh, he's rolling around. The camera guys are like shaking, like laughing. And then he's like trying to get up. And I'm like, do you get that? You want me to show you again? And he's like, no, no, I got it. I got it. We're good. We're good. That wraps up the, the whatever segment. <laughs> and then like afterwards, the, the, the camera guys are like, yeah, you know how to make the real man. I was like, <laughs> Definitely got to hit a guy in the dick right on on the Jay Leno. <laughs> is that clip you. available to be seen anywhere? Can, is I, that like on YouTube or something? Man, I'm gonna have to search that. I, I've looked for it. I haven't been able to find it, but I know several people. My my TM, I rode for Levi's at the time, jeans at the time, and my TM on Levi's had no idea that I did that interview and just saw the show and was like, "Oh my gosh!" She calls me, and goes. This lady, Kathy McGrath, amazing team manager. She's like, I just watched you hit somebody in the private on Jay Leno. And I was like, oh, it was on there. Oh, man. I never actually got to see the actual show because it was going on during like during the X Games. And I had usually around that time, I have tons of stuff I've got to do, like like all these little things around. Like if you want to have like extra guest passes, you do autograph signings and you go to parties and you do all these little events, stuff around the X Games. So I was like too busy to you know be watching tv at that point but i did miss i didn't get to see it unfortunately but i know several people that have seen it and so it was on there and i've looked for it a little bit but not super hard so but yeah it, it was i want to say it was 07 maybe i'm gonna i'm gonna do some research i'm gonna see if i can find a clip somewhere because that just sounds comical and I, and and knowing you now and having like because um you rolled through town not too long ago and you got yeah. to you crashed here at my place and then we, we went out and right shot there. the next morning yeah, the room I'm in right now, right? So, um, so now that I, I spent some time with you, hung up, I, I was like, oh, "Yeah, I could see him doing that." Yep, <laughs> doesn't matter that it'd be on national television. It it, it sounded like the funny thing to do. Just a little tap. Yeah. It, was it, was it, was it was a good. What's one. capital of Thailand? Bangkok. <laughs> yeah, the old nut shot. <laughs> I couldn't believe oh, I actually Jesus. thought of it. I was like, oh, I'm I, literally in my head. I was just like a light bulb. I was like, I'm gonna punch this dude in the dick right now. Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> and it was good because, like, you know, this guy, like, he thrives on, like, kind of kind of like making fun of the athletes for his bit, you know, for his comedy. So it was, it was fun, funny to kind of, like, you know, give him the old switcheroo. Yeah, turn it around. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? So, all right. So now we're, we're, we're doing this extreme thing and all that kind of stuff. Tell me how, because I mean, so I got to assume that being in Texas, firearms is like, it's like being a Mandalorian. Like, this is the way. Right. Like if you're in part Texas, it's almost like weapons are a part yeah. of our religion. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty. Pretty America down here. So. So what's the first gun that you ever bought or or let me, let me hold on. Where, the first gun you ever received, was it a gift or did you buy it yourself? Now, if we're talking an actual like obviously BB gun, I got a BB gun when I was a kid. That was a gift. Daisy okay. one of the little pump up guns. Um, mm-hmm. But. Legit firearm, like, you know, with, like, gunpowder involved. Uh, I actually bought two at the same time. Um, I bought a Glock 17C, which is the compensated version of the 17 with the little, little, you know, holes in the top of the barrel. And then I bought a Mossberg 500 pump shotgun. And that was uh, around, let's see, when was that? It was 2003, 2002, somewhere in there. 
I, I wasn't really okay. in, like, I, I've been familiar with guns like all my life growing up. My, my, my father uh, taught me gun safety for, I, I, I don't remember not knowing how to handle a gun safely. Like, you know, the, the mm. four rules and like it's been ingrained in me since I was like, yay big. And um, so I grew up shooting guns. My dad always had had firearms and he would take us out and shoot. We had a little range in our, the back of our property. We live outside of town. And um, so I was very familiar with them, but I never really, you know, got into them, like wanting to own them necessarily because I was so busy with BMX stuff. And then one uh, day, I, I didn't even know what, what the catalyst was, but I was like, I need to get some firearms. So I, I bought a pistol and a shotgun. And uh, yeah, so it was a, a Glock, Glock 17C and a Mossberg 500. Those were my first two. And I still have that. I actually, uh, that's the, the Glock that I had with me when I came and shot with you, when I came to visit. It's all, it's basically a Zev now. The only thing that's still stock on it is the plastic which has been stippled <laughs> and everything else is completely ZevTech, the rest of it, just because uh, I had a buddy that, that worked for them for a while and he, he got me the, the bro got deal the and a gun. bunch of stuff. And, and yeah, I mean that, that gun, I basically turned, you know, a $500 gun into a, you know, like what you said, like a, a 25, $3,000 gun. So the Gucci Glock, it's a Gucci, Gucci Glock. Glock is a it is a Gucci yeah. Glock. And it, it's now just, is, it's do you still have a, I, I don't recall. Do you still have the compensated barrel in there or did you just put a standard barrel in there now? No, no, it's got a, uh, it's got a threaded barrel in there for suppressors and stuff on it now. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, so I still have that, uh, the slide and the barrel are, they're sitting in my safe right now. And I've, I've had the, uh, I've been looking for a, like a gen three frame for a while, just cause I want to put together another 17 so I can build that one back up or maybe I'll, you know, I, I got into stippling a while back. So I do stippling work now on the side and I might even do that and turn my, get a new frame for the Zev and put my old frame back with the old the original receiver and uh, upper and whatnot, but we'll see. Got to get the matching serial numbers, man. Make it, make it all a complete package. Yeah, again. You, ever, you ever thought about doing like a polymer 80 and, and swapping that out or something like that? Or I, you I, know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't mind those. I've worked on a lot of them for, for buddies. Like I've stippled a, a lot of them, done grip work on a lot of those. Um, I just, I don't know. I prefer, I prefer the, the real deal. Like I, I would OEM, rather like have original. An, actual, an actual Glock frame um, over like a, a polymer 80 or whatever. So mm-hmm. but, understandable, yeah, not to it, but it's kind of like one of those things, like when you first get into guns and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast right now can identify with this. You just want to get as many guns as you can. So you're just buying guns. You just buy, you, you know, the whole buy the largest safe you can find because guess what? It's not big enough. Like uh, th- that type of thing. You just keep buying guns. Then after a while, yeah, you've got all these guns and you can go out and you can just like throw a bunch of lead into the dirt and, or, and you know, goof off and play with them or whatever, like at target practice. Uh, after a while, though, you get to where you're just like, well, I don't need to buy another gun. I already have nine ARs and, and you know, all the Russian things and, and all that stuff. And like now I just want to make the ones I have better. So you, mm-hmm. you get into the whole like – you get a couple of your f- guns that end up being your favorite guns that they're the ones, your go-tos that you always shoot and you start upgrading them. And this is the same thing with bikes. You, you get your favorite bike and you start upgrading it. And then before you know it, you've got a Gucci Glock or, you know, a Noveski AR or something, you know, like, like that, you know, and, and, and of course you got to have Vortex glass on it because it's the best glass, right? Um, I second that. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> uh, and, and then you, you got to get the red dot for your pistol. And of course you get the vortex red dot too. Um, 
but it's the, it's the same thing. You, you just start upgrading the stuff that you have. And then before you know it, you end up with an entirely different piece. And, and for me, the, the frame runs along the same lines. Like if I, if I want to have just boost my number of guns, yeah, I'll get some polymer eighties or whatever. But if I want to actually have a gun that I will enjoy shooting more, I'll probably actually get a, a an actual Glock, um, frame or, you know, whatever other brand it, it might be, you know, SIGs or, you know, Springfield or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, so it, it kind of, I haven't jumped into the 1911s yet. Someday, someday I'll get into the FUD gun, but, uh, I <laughs> well, you remember you. Uh, well, okay. Let me let me ask you this: What makes the 1911 a fud gun? Is it the fact that it's a 1911, or is it the fact that it has to be a 45 ACP? Because I feel like it's the caliber that it's makes the, it the fud it's gun. The, it's the it's the fact of the when you when you look at the gun and you know exactly what type of shooter is shooting that gun. That's what makes it a fud gun. It's the guy that comes to range. I don't need that plastic piece of crap. This is one two world wars. That's that's what makes it a fud gun. 1911s are amazing. I love them. Like they're a beautiful, they're pieces of art. And like, I would love to own one. I just, I just haven't uh, gotten there yet. I will at some point though. I'm sure. You know, I, I think I know a guy. Do you? Who might be able to get you squared away with a pretty badass 1911. So we'll, we'll, we'll maybe have to, to make something happen here. Now the question is though, would you want it in 45 or would you want to have like a nine millimeter 38 super? Yes. <laughs> Both, <laughs> yes, matching, uh, only matching sets, yeah, a matching set. You gotta have, you gotta have <laughs> yeah. Gun, I mean, uh, some, sometimes guns can be kind of like Pokemon. You gotta, you gotta catch them all. <laughs> you gotta catch them all. <laughs> you gotta catch them all. And then once you have them all, you gotta upgrade them all, or at least, at least your favorite ones. But yeah, no, I, honestly, like, I don't know. Like, if it came down to it, if it was a gun that I was gonna carry, I would probably go with the nine, just because of capacity. Um, I am a, a, a big proponent of having more capacity is never a bad thing because you can, you can buy the the technology in in ammunition right now, you can get a nine millimeter round that will expand and be comparable to a 45. I mean, obviously a 45 is, it's a, it's a freaking powerhouse, but you can get a nine millimeter that, that will be comparable as far as what it does when it hits a soft meat like substance. And if you've got 10 or 15 or 20 more of those, that's never a bad thing. So. No, right. I agree. And, and you know, it's, cause it's, right. it, it's, it's like that thing. It's, um, you know, I, I still have a 40 Smith and Wesson. Actually, mm-hmm. I've got several 40 Smith and Wesson in my safe because of competition purposes. I have mm-hmm. to have it for, for the, for the scoring value that comes up. But like, Man, if tomorrow they said, hey, we're just going to go minor for all scoring, those things would never come out of my safe again because I would just swap over to nine. Because, right. uh, you know, as a lot of studies and stuff like that have started showing, it's like, you know, uh, shot placement is way more important than the mm-hmm. size of the bullet and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, it's, you see those, uh, the pictures of like the, the guy with the nine millimeter. It's got the grouping in the chest, the grouping in the head, and then it's got the, the, the 145 hole. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't worry, he'll bleed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. uh, yeah, no, I'll stick with the, uh, with the, the yeah. chest. And I, and you know, I, I've even had people or heard people say that, um, you're too accurate. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, if you just keep shooting the same spot in the person's body, it's like, it, you're, you're not doing any more damage. You got to be combat accurate. You want to spread the love kind of thing. And I'm just like, 
That's no, just no. I'm, that's because their group, their groups are this big. That, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, no. I I definitely want to account. Every yeah. time I send a round, I, I want to be accountable yeah. for where that round is going, and I prefer it go into my tar- my intended target rather yeah, I'm than. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the triangle is a good spot for all those rounds. If you can, I mean, if they yeah. all go in that spot, you're not really going to have too much of a problem. But yeah, granted, you know, I think I think there's actually a everything changes under the record. So yeah, oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. And it's, it's and, and and I can almost say too, it's uh, you know I'm very lucky, and and I can I hope I continue to be lucky in that I never experienced that kind of stress. Like fact. the most stress that I've ever had is in a competition setting. I want that to be the most stress I ever experienced. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever um, want to have to use, I mean, I carry, I carry every single time that I can, it, I can feasibly do it. If I'm not on a trip where I can't, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to fly with, with firearms, especially if you're going places that you can't legally carry. So I'm not going to, you know, take my firearms if I'm going on a trip where I have to go somewhere I can't carry, but if I can carry, and and it's feasible, you know, and you know, reasonable for me to have my firearm with me. It's going to be on my body for protection for myself, my loved ones, and, and other people as well. But um, I hope I never, ever, ever have to to do that. I mean, I, my wife and I, we both did uh, Krav Maga for years. We were about five or so years, uh, and it wasn't like one of these uh, YouTube schools like trash. It's like a legit. Krav Maga, where they, the roots of it go back all the way to like the guys who started it, you know, and stuff. It was a very, mm. a very um, good school that teaches the actual methods and stuff. And and uh, that mindset never goes away. It's more of a mindset than anything. Yeah, there's techniques and stuff, but it's more of a mindset. And uh, it's just one of those things where like I'm, I'm going to protect myself and others if I have the ability to, and I want to give myself the best odds of that. And I understand through the training that I've had with uh, the hand to hand stuff with Krav that we do a lot of stress testing where you, you try to uh, basically recreate a situation where your body's under stress. Yes. It's going to be different than a real life situation where you have like all the terrifying thoughts of like what's happening and trying to figure out what's going on. But you basically, the way we would simulate that is by, uh, essentially doing exercise to the point where you're fatigued, where you, you feel like you can't move. And then we'll, you know, turn the lights out with the strobe light. So it confuses you and we'll crank up like heavy metal music. So you've got all this noise and all these conflicting things coming in. You're dead tired. And then someone comes up and puts you in a headlock or punches at you or whatever. And you have to defend yourself. So you learn these techniques and then you test it out under, you know, as close to a real life scenario as possible, but simulated stress and you find out really quick that your technique goes to crap under stress like that. Like whatever mm-hmm. you whatever you train at, if you're training at say 100%, this is where you train at. You add stress just and not even real life stress, the stress that we're able to do, you're instantly knocking it down to like 40%. Of, mm-hmm. of, of your technique is like 40% as good as it was when you were training, when you could think about everything and do everything the proper way and blah, 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 blah. But so you're down to 40% add real life stress. You're even lower than that. So you really have to train at a high level for it to come out naturally under stress. And that being said, that, that translates straight over to firearms. Cause if you're training, like you're saying, you're too accurate under stress, you're not going to be as accurate as you are. 
when you're just static shooting or practicing or whatnot. And that's why we, we do drills where we run around and do stuff where you get tired and you're breathing hard and you're trying to, or like what that confidence drill that we worked on when, when I was out there visiting you, where you just keep going back, keep going back and like stuff like that. Like it, it really like you, you find out where you're at real quick. So why wouldn't you give yourself the best possible odds by say having 20 rounds in your magazine instead of seven? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and my, you know what? I, my rationale for that. You bring a good point too about the idea of of getting some formal training for hand to hand stuff too. Because for for my mindset when it comes to self defense too, it's it's not it shouldn't be a um. I, I've got a gun. I'm good. Oh yeah, because and a lot that's, of people, it's sad. A lot of people think that they think if they have a gun, they will be in control of the situation because they have the power, right? Oof. Right. What and and so I think for me, it's always about having layers. Like it's, yeah. it's almost like the law enforcement side, right? Like you have to have a level of elevation. You've got to have certain steps. If, if someone wants to take it to this level, you don't necessarily want to go above to the next level. You just need to meet them at their level and yeah. then yeah, and you the, want to look the dominant at factor. Something that's really scary is go, do, the, do the actual test, like the law enforcement, LEO, like te- like proficiency shooting test. I mean, and you find out what, what a passing grade is on that and you're like oof like even our law enforcement needs to be training more like because it's it's not as hard as you might think to get a passing grade on an le proficiency shooting test oh, it's not uh, you know what scares me is i've i've had conversations with law enforcement it's like so so what what gun are you carrying they go oh it's a glock nine Oh, okay. Hey, never mind. We're this conversation's done because you don't even know the model of the gun that you're carrying, right. and you do that right. for a living. That kind of scares me that you can't say it's a Glock 17. You do realize the first or whatever, like, 17, they go up above that, right? <laughs> they just keep yeah, right. <laughs> the Glock Nine isn't isn't that the the porcelain uh, ceramic one that that doesn't isn't seen through moto detectors and that John McClane talked about? Yes. Not the not the real John McClane, but the fake one, right? So Yippee Kaye. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> now, uh, now um <coughs> excuse me. Um as far as the shooting stuff goes, so obviously you, you, you carry a, a Zev Glock by the sounds of it. So no, that's um, that, that's I carried that for a long time. Currently I, I have a, a 43X that I carry, uh that's got okay. the red dot and the fancy stipples and the threaded barrel and all the, the fun gizmos. Got it. Okay. Got so, the, shield, the shield mags. So I have the 15 plus one in the gun and then I have an extra mag that's 15 plus five. So I've got lots, lots of freedom seeds to throw. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. And I practice. And then, and then, from uh, which is important for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we, we've, we've talked about, you've got some Nevesky rifles, right? So, um, what is your like? Let's let's talk a little bit about like some of your like. What's what's your favorite kind of setup if you're gonna go out for a day of of shooting, um, and you could pick one pistol, one rifle, and one shotgun? What mm. would be the guns that you would want to take out for a, a day on the range? And how are and how are they set up too? Like so, obviously you can right. say, well, I've got a Glock, but like you know, if if you've got a specific setup, red dots or or optics or anything like that, like explain what what some of your favorite uh, go to gear is. Well, I, I, I'll take the Glock nine, the pump twelve. And um, the the two two three five five six. I had a guy say that one time. He's like, "Oh yeah, uh, I hear you guys. This guy stopped by the house that lives around. He's like, I hear you guys shooting down here sometimes. You know, I got me a, an AR fifteen. I was like, Oh yeah, what do you guys like? It's Colt two two three five five six. 
And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Both at the same time? <laughs> I just like yeah, I was like, I'm just I'm just gonna leave it there. We we, we know yep. I know yeah. I know the extent of this conversation right now, now and it's you're not gonna understand anything I say from this point forward, so I'm just gonna leave it there and, and have a, a nice conversation man to man with you. But um <laughs> No, so if I'm going to the range, just like what we did the other day, just to have a good time, um, I would probably take my Zev because I I prefer shooting my my Zev as like, pistol wise. Um, I know I can comfortably shoot that gun out to 70, 80 yards, which I know that because I do that confidence drill quite often. Um, the furthest I have shot that gun was about 410 yards, but it took me a handful of shots to hit a, an oxyacetylene tank at 410. But um, the confidence drill the farthest i ever made it back was 130 on the confidence drill but i did i did i will admit i did go over three shots on a couple so for anyone that's listening the confidence drill you start at 10 yards and you have a a steel target and you have three chances to hit the steel from every 10 yard increment as you move back and the more people you have the more fun it is so if you have a big group of people it's really fun because everyone gets three chances to hit the steel at 10 yards you have strong hand weak hand and both hands. Those are your three options. You can only do each one one time. So if you shoot strong hand and you miss, you can't shoot strong hand again. You have to shoot either weak hand or both hands. And if you miss the second time, whatever it is, you're down to one. So the the best uh, strategy is you start with your weak hand, you then go to your strong hand, and then you go to your most stable platform, both hands, right? So you want your third shot to count. Ideally, you want to hit all of them with your with your your offhand because then it's just one shot. You save ammo. You go all the way back, and you look like a badass, right? All your friends, you're like, "Yeah, I'm cool. I can go way far back with my, my offhand." Uh, the guy who actually showed me this drill was a uh, a recon marine, former recon marine. Uh, if there is such a thing as a former marine, there's not. But um, and he he did it all the way to 100 yards weekend, like no problem. And he, he just stopped there because no one else was made it that far with him. He was like, okay. And was, he goes, to be fair, I do this all the time. So I have lots of practice. But uh, so if you pass, if you hit it on your first shot, you're good to go. You move back to the next spot. If it takes three shots, doesn't matter. If you miss all three, you're out. So your group gets significantly smaller around the 40 to 50 yard mark. It starts to really like narrow down to the guys that can actually handle a pistol well. And uh, it's just fun to see how far back you can go. I think we made it uh, – did we make it to 90 the other day? 80 or 90? We, we made uh, – about 90 was where we were pushing it because after that we were having to get into the creek. <laughs> the yeah, creek oh, yeah, yeah. Behind yeah. us and but stuff, I, so. I, I'm trying to – I think I missed all three at 90. I think I, I – think I, I, that was my first failure. Uh, yeah, um, and I and I'm I'm ashamed to say as the pro shoot. Although I was, so I'll say this, and this is not necessarily to be an excuse, but I was shooting a Glock 19, uh, <laughs> not a nine. So you know, short shorter barrel and shorter sight radius, and like. Oh yeah. But yeah, I think what well, you gave me, I think you gave me three one ups um, in the Mario terms because I think the first yeah, time I missed was that it was at either sixty or seventy, and then after that it was like I failed twice. At, it's always a bummer like when once you, at eighty, you once miss, at ninety. You miss all three at like forty, and you're just like, I'm ashamed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, oh, now there's yeah. another game I used to play, and it's 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 a lot of fun when you have a good group of people. And it's called Chase the Rabbit. So where that's where um, someone gets to go up and shoot a target. They put a hole in it. And then everyone's goal is to put their bullet through that same hole, and whoever's furthest from the hole is knocked out. 
and then the, the person that wins the round gets to set the next target. So the best thing to do, like especially if you got like a group of right-handed people and you want to be a dick, is um, and you know like your friends love to flinch low left, is that you actually put the shot on the left side of the target. Because so then when they flinch, the they completely miss the target and they get knocked out automatically. Oh, uh, but that's a game man. I always play called Chase the Rabbit. And then every yeah, oh, whoever's so furthest away miss the whole target. Multiple people get knocked out for not getting on paper. Exactly. Yeah. So if you really want to be a dick, that's how you that's how you set it up. Um, but it's, it's just super fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it's just a fun. It's a fun game. Like I said, in a group, and then as as you go, yeah. whoever's furthest away gets knocked out, and then you just do another round. But yeah, it would be too fun with two people because you you'd be over in one one round every time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, you didn't you go through the same hole. I see a little bit of a, of a of a grease mark out there. You're done. But yeah. no, that's good. There's another there's another drill. Uh, speaking of drills, it's really fun where you essentially start at 60 yards. We didn't do this one. I think I told you about it. But this this one the 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 way that's really fun to do is with an AR uh, and a pistol, and you alternate between the two platforms. And you start at 60 yards, and you go rifle on steel, trans transition to pistol on steel. You get you hit with both. You then reholster, run up 10 yards. Same thing, and you go. 10 yard increments up 10 yard increments back and whoever gets back the fastest wins. So ideally you want to have two targets going slightly away from each other so that you can move up in front of the other person without being downrange. And, and you basically just drag, you, you just drag race down and back. And it's really mm. fun to a lot of people because you have um, it's like a, a relay race. So you have a bunch of people waiting. So you, you go up and back and the next person's in and whoever's group finishes first wins. So that that's a really fun game too. I wanted to get to that, but we didn't actually get to it when we were out there. We we, we ran out of time. But uh, and back to the original question, my Zevtech would be my pistol, nine millimeter, with a red dot. I am a red dot shooter. I, I enjoy the red dot. I can shoot open sights, but red dots are, are more fun and they look cooler, right? You get the you get the steez points for having the the cool stuff all over your gun, right? Um, and then uh, as far as AR platform, I'd probably take an AR over like a. A, a Russian variant, you know, AK or something of that nature. Um, Noveski, obviously. I have a a, um, a little seven point nine inch SBR that I got from Noveski. That is just, it's my baby. I love that thing. I've killed so many pigs with that gun, um, and it's got. Uh, right now, it's got the Vortex Razor Gen two Razor one to six E model on it, and. I like that scope because I can essentially use it as a red dot as well on, on one power. Cause it's a true one and it's got the, the illuminated red dot in it. I can pop it on, open both eyes on one power and, and use it like a red dot kind of, as long as your head's in the right spot. You have, you, you, you have less wiggle room than you do with like a holographic site because a holographic site, you can move your head around. You can still see it in the window, but with the scope, you still have to have your, your cheek weld in the right spot. But you can use that mm-hmm. like red dot. So I, I, I do enjoy that. But I, I'll also sometimes alternate back. I'll put like a, a, a little uh, Viper on it, the, the little uh, micro red dot on the riser mount. And I like that because of how light it is. It's just really nice. It's a really nice small um, package and it's lightweight. And boop, I have I actually have a, um, a bag that I carry it in. Uh, it's, it's just a tennis racket bag. So you can put it, pop it in there, put some mags in there. I have a, a, a little 20 round magazine that I can put in. So it still fits in with the magazine in it. And you can walk literally from, you can walk around town and no one knows you've got a, a rifle. 
So mm-hmm. not that I walk around town with a rifle all the time, but it's sometimes it's like, if you, it's like kind of like the truck gun, keep it under the seat and then you don't freak people out if you have to get it out and go inside or whatever. Cause you're not like mm-hmm. those people that marches around displaying their guns. Cause they want a situation with the police. Um, right. But so that little uh, it's essentially an eight inch SBR that that's my go-to on that platform uh, for a rifle and then shotguns. I'm a pump guy, man. I, I love my Mossy, my Mossy 500, man. I'll take it all day or, or Remington 870. I'm, I'm a fan of that as well. But uh, I, the Mossberg was the first gun I bought. So that's, I still shoot that gun to this day. And I actually have, I bought another one that has the, the, the 20 inch barrel. So it has the extended, um, magazine underneath it. Now, granted, I, I understand it's nothing compared to your your extended magazine. I mean, you you were like, you think that's an extended magazine? He goes to his safe and pulls out this thing that sticks this far past the barrel. Uh, it was a crocodile Dundee moment. You you yeah, call that a knife? No, that's a knife. Like it was. That thing. It was. It was one of the few times. It was one of the few times where I got to to brag about how mine was bigger. <laughs> That thing is beautiful, though, man. That, that's a great gun. But, uh, but yeah, that that would be my my three choices probably. Now, I mean, it depends on what you want to play with, though, because I also have a, a Vepper twelve, which is essentially an AK twelve gauge. Uh, but it's it's like the Segas, but Segas are kind of kind of like not. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the Sega twelves because they they're real picky on what they shoot a lot of times. All the ones I've had experience with, at least, are, are picky. You, you put the real cheap bird shot through. Like when it comes to shotguns, I feel like you're just blasting and having a good time, and it's it's a lot less about you know the chase the rabbit stuff where you're trying to be like super accurate. You're just trying to you know clays or whatever. You're having a good time, right? So I don't want yeah, to close, close is good enough money on ammo. So I'm just going to go buy the bird shot or the, the clay shot, you know, something like that. And uh, and in my experience with the the Segas, that they, they just don't do well with the the cheaper ammo which is the stuff that is more fun to shoot in my opinion uh, when we're goofing off of that. So I have the Vepr 12, which is, you know, it's an actual Russian made AK 12 gauge, uh, but it's got mm-hmm. magwells and stuff. It doesn't have the rock in uh, mags. It actually has like a magwell that drops in and, and a bolt catch on it. Um, and I put a, I put a, a nicer trigger in there. So it's nice and light. I wasn't able to get the CMC to fit in there. And I actually brought that up to, to Jack and, and he was like, Oh, I'll have to look at that. Uh, because, because of the uh, mag cat, the bolt catch, um, there's not room for the drop in CMC in that mm. one. Now I do have an AK in the safe that does have a CMC and it is beautiful, beautiful trigger in that gun, which is, yeah. So for trigger costs as much as the dang gun. So it's like, <laughs> It's a weird Yeah, thing. no, so I I'm, I'm an AR gold guy when it comes to my triggers, my preferred triggers. Um but they don't make AK triggers. So when I had uh Rifle Dynamics build me my we, we call it the blue label AK in 223, um mm-hmm. I was able to have CMC send me one of their AK triggers and we got it fitted in there and and I will I will admit it is a nice trigger. <laughs> if AR gold made one for the AK, it probably it would have been an AR gold in there, but they didn't. So I, I put a CMC <laughs> in it, and uh, it, it is actually a fantastic trigger. And knowing the people from CMC, because I mean, even though I've, I I shoot for AR gold, you know, mm-hmm. Kelly had a relationship with her. She actually worked for them for a while. Um, mm-hmm. So I've gotten to meet a lot of the people, and and I do think they actually make really really good products. They're just not 
AR Gold, which is who I have on my, my the logo I rock on my shoulder, right? But yeah. but uh, for those of you that have never tried the CMC triggers or anything, I mean, I, I would highly suggest they, they are fantastic triggers. Um, you know, the one I haven't had, I've I've tried them at shows, but I haven't actually had a chance to to use them just in training purposes and stuff like that. Are the Glock drop in triggers? Have you had any experience with with those triggers from from CMC? Yeah. Uh, so I have one of the Glock ones, um, but I don't, what is that one? I think that one ended up in my brother's 19. So I don't shoot it as often. I actually don't, um, I don't like the little, the, the, the shape of the bottom of, of the, on, in my Glock. The little like, yeah, it's got like that little kick out. The ARs, I love the flat, the flat trigger. I actually like the little combat curve trigger a little bit better that they do. But, um, the flat trigger, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of flat triggers, but I, I prefer, I prefer the Zev, the Zev trigger to be honest in my, in my Glock. Mm. But okay. yeah. it's a good trigger. But, uh, and you know, it's a great trigger. The, the CMC is a great trigger as well. Uh, and that, but, um, as far as like the, the AK goes, the one that I put in the, the Vepper because that didn't have room for the CMC to drop in there. It was the, the ALG um, AK trigger that they make. That thing is not very expensive. It's, it's very, it's very affordable and it is. You, you it's would, phenomenal. You wouldn't know that that is not like a high end top tier trigger. Cause it is, it's very crisp, very light. If you, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing and it just, it's nice. I mean, you 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 shot that gun a little bit. I brought it out when when I was there that 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 twelve gauge Vepper, and mm-hmm. uh, man, that trigger's nice. And I really like the. I I did have to modify it to fit in there because again, it it didn't want to go in with with all that extra stuff in there for the the bolt catch. But once I got it in there, beautiful, beautiful. No, yeah, the ALGs are are a fantastic trigger too, especially for the price point that that you can get them for. Absolutely, so. Yeah. No, man. And yeah, we, uh, we're definitely going to have to, what was that? I was going to say, I have a Remington 700 uh, model uh, bolt gun and I actually have a Timney trigger in that. And that thing is phenomenal. Also, I really enjoy that mm-hmm. trigger, but um, it does, it's very, I think it's like good grief. One and a half pounds, maybe, or something ridiculous like that. You just breathe on it and it goes. But when you're trying to shoot, you know, small, things at a thousand yards it's nice to have something that doesn't affect the gun when you pull it yeah so. yeah absolutely no i mean and you know i actually there, there's i mean there's really there's a lot of good triggers out there now um you know there was a time where you really had like there were only a handful of companies that people would trust like their lives with like they would put it in their rifle that they were going to put on duty or you know have as their shit hit the fan gun you know in the closet or something like that but um, now nowadays i mean there there really are a ton of great companies out there that can make some solid you know once the technology's out there and people you yeah. let the pioneers figure out all the mistakes yeah what well, doesn't then it's work. easy to learn from others mistakes and stuff but um no yeah and and you know when we because I, I where was i i think i was was i going to south carolina is that uh that was the day where you were you came out and i had to i had to fly out somewhere and that's why our, our yeah. little shooting session had to be cut short. Yeah, I think it was South Carolina because I, I saw uh, my buddy Wayne Wayne Hammer at Microtech. Oh uh, yes, yeah, that's right. Picture, and it was it was just your back. You were loading a magazine or something for something. You were doing something, and I was like, I know that guy. I recognize that buddy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Wayne did come by and say hi, and I felt bad because he came by to say hi as I had, like, a VRF-14, like, out on the table completely <laughs> taken apart, and I was, like, covered in gun oil and stuff, and and I told him, I was like, hey, man, come swing back again in, like, 10, 15 minutes. Let me just get this thing cleaned up and, and put back together, and then, I mean, we were just slammed that entire event, so I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him as much as I did, but or uh, as much as I got to, but yeah, then you hit me up, and you're like, oh, man, Wayne's my dude. Make sure you give him some love. I'm like, well, if he comes back again, I will, but Jesus. He's, so, he's an old school um, BMXer, too. He used to go, like, a lot of the same events that I went to back in the early 2000s, so. I actually well, built I, a, I didn't know that. I built a bike for him for couple years back i i put together a bike for him and hooked him up he's he's hooked me up with uh with stipple work and stuff and and honestly when i got into stippling he's the one that really like showed me the ropes and taught me a lot of really really good tricks on uh how to how to do specific stuff when it comes to grip work and modification so grant wayne's a great dude so wayne hammer yeah so as far as the stippling goes um you've got an instagram page where people can go see your work what's that instagram page M Wade works. So it's at M Wade works. Uh, just M W A D E W O R K S M Wade works. Yeah. And I just, okay. anytime I do some, most everything I do is just buddy, buddy stuff, buddies, guns and whatnot. But, uh, and then I, I like do quite a few like AR grips and stuff like that too as well, but whatever. I mean, this plastic, you can melt it. You can have fun with it, but I really enjoyed, <laughs> uh, kind of like it's, it's, it's an art form essentially, uh, shaping, you know, grips into something that that's a little bit more ergonomic and, and that you can hang on to even with a, a wet soapy hand. So that's the idea. Make your gun more useful. Yeah. Once you, once you stipple a grip, it's kind of hard to, to shoot anything else other than what yeah. you're able to do with, with a stippling job and a, and a good one at that. Cause I mean, like I, once you get into stippling, it's kind of hard to look at a, a stipple job and not critique it too. Cause I remember you, you had just gotten, uh, your gun back one of your guns back from and it had a stipple job on it and i remember like it's a, it's a great great they did a great job on it like in no way am i talking mess on it by any means but i was just like ooh, yeah i wouldn't do it that way and like this and that it was, it's funny the stupid the stupid stuff you notice when just when you get into something the farther the deeper you get into something the more you notice the minute details you know and uh mm-hmm. but but man that thing that thing felt great in the hand though. That, I think it was that Terran, that Terran tactical gun that you just, was it the, uh, terminalist gun or whatever? Yeah. I, yeah. I got the terminalist Glock 19 from him. And, it's uh, beautiful. they did a no, great it, job. On that. They did a great job on that. Yeah. Well, and I think the only thing you really said was like, I, I would have put a border on it, but they yeah, the border, and just that's, borders. like, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm big into putting borders on it and stuff and, and getting a nice real, real crisp, clean edge and stuff. But I love how they kind of put like their logo in, into the, the edge of the stipple and stuff. And just, it's a cool, great looking gun. It felt great in the hand too. Does a job for sure. But. And it shot really well. Still does shoot very well. Um, yeah. That's what like you were shooting on, on the confidence drill. Wasn't that the gun? Yeah. You were that, so, yeah. yeah. And I'd only had, I think up to that point, I only had like maybe 20 rounds through it. So I, I really got to, that was my chance to kind of like break it in, get a feel for it and all kind of stuff. James but, Reese would have hit um, that man. James Reese would have hit that target. At every. I know. I know. Unfortunately I ain't him. <laughs> Oh, Chris Pratt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've been told that me and uh, uh, me and Chris Pratt, I, I've been told we, we look very alike, except that um, I'm a little bit taller and our faces are different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sli- just slightly. Just slightly, just slightly. So I never would have told. Right on, dude. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> right on. Well, so let's, Um, I, I've got uh, a couple 
fast fire questions I tend to answer or, or ask just as a kind of a, a exit out, and then and then we'll give you a chance to kind of uh, wrap things up on your end. If, if there's anyone else you want to say hi to or, or give shout outs or anything like that, so we'll we'll just go in with this. Now, this question I came up with just because, like for me in the city, I said it one way, and then I moved out here to the Midwest, and apparently I've been saying it wrong the whole life. So, how do you pronounce it? Is it soda or is it pop? <laughs> soda. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Someone that agrees. I with say, this, so. I say soda. I definitely don't call every single soda a Coke. That's not cool because it ain't a Coke, right? Uh, pop yep. is like more north, like that's more like Minnesota. They got the pop up there. Oh, soda pop, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I say soda. I mean, I I feel like that's pretty common down here where I am in Texas. But that being said, my mom is from Pennsylvania and my dad is from New York. So I don't really have a Texas accent because I grew up because of the household I grew up in. Now, I did grow up with people in my area. Good old East Texas. I can turn that accent on anytime I want. Tell you what. If I'm around the right people, it'll just come out without me even thinking about it. I can turn that accent on. And like you say things like, yeah, all the time. Like, yeah, this, this, my cat. <laughs> but uh, I definitely, I definitely have friends that if I hang around them, I, my, the accent will creep out just because I'm around them. And it just like wants to, it, you know, it wants company. But, uh, other than that, yeah, I, I I'm kind of, I, I think I don't have it. Do I have Do I sound like I have an accent to you when I, when I speak normally? No, no, you yeah. sound like a pretty normal dude. Well, you, you, you sound like a guy that isn't necessarily from Texas. Like there's, yeah, right. there's living in that South area. You got to have some sort of twang or hitch or giddy up or something in, in the way you speak, but you, <laughs> You kind of just sound like a normal person. My wife is from Tucson, and uh, she she's lived in Texas now longer than she lived in Tucson in in Arizona, and which we actually just talked about the other day. And she's like, "That's weird. Like I've been a Texan longer than I've been an Arizonian." Uh, But she like when she moved here, she was kind of excited to like adapt adopt like some of like the the little isms of like Texas. So she like legit just started saying y'all just because she wanted to Texas. Yeah. I want to say y'all. So she, and she actually said, it. and I still, when I hear her say it, she's been saying it for good grief, 13 years now. It still sounds weird to me. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. you just say y'all. Cause I don't, you, it's, it's you sit on a throne of lies. Yeah. You smell <laughs> like beef and cheese. Uh, it's very rare that I say, I say y'all, can't even think of a time the last time i actually said it but well but yes, you just did so i did say it but it <laughs> i said it in a natural in a natural form like of the, yeah <laughs> all right um flip-flops or go ba- flip-flops or go barefoot flip-flops i have literally had flip-flops on today although i am barefoot right now because i'm in my house yeah, i can't I can't do barefoot outside. Like Kelly, Kelly always talks about like having the grass yeah, yeah, go yeah. through her toes and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, good. That's disgusting. I'll put flip-flops <laughs> on if I'm going to, if I'm going to go outside, I'll put flip-flops on or just socks and shoes. I can't do yep. shoes without socks either, or especially can't go outside in just socks. <sighs> can't handle that. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, we- I, I have, I have PTSD when I go out in my socks because I all of, all of a sudden I have my Asian mother swinging at me with hangers <laughs> wondering why I'm putting holes in my it's, socks. It's a flip-flop. So I get PTSD. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. all right. Uh, hard or soft taco? Oh, I'm a soft taco. I like soft yes. tacos. Man, I there's eat, a reason why we get along so well. I ate tacos for lunch today and I had, uh, 
what they they call it a, a quesadilla. This place, El Lugar Taqueria here in Tyler. If you're ever in East Texas, Tyler or Lindale, I'm taking you to El Lugar. It's my favorite taqueria on the planet. And uh, my boy Edgar runs the downtown uh, El Lugar that's moving soon to to Lindale. But uh, that place is amazing. Best best tacos on the planet. If yeah, if you if you ask my humble opinion. Uh, now, anyone from the Southwest, they'll get upset and tell you that there's no they, – they know best. But they actually don't in reality. El Lugar is better. Uh, but they have – it's basically a burrito, but it's they call it a, the super quesadilla. And oh my gosh. Mm, mm, so good. But they use like the giant tortilla and then you get the number five. So I get number seven beef all the way. That's the super quesadilla. And then I get a number five with flour tortilla. And all that is is just white cheese and avocado. That's it in a, in a flour tortilla. And it's dessert, dude. Ate it for lunch today, just a couple hours ago. It was amazing. <laughs> See, that sounds that sounds fantastic to me. But Kelly hates avocado. She can't stand them at all. What? I'm like, you're weird. I know, right? I'm like, you're so uh, weird. Avocados I, are awesome. I might take guacamole. Back, I, I might take back my my uh, greeting to her earlier and, and just say, uh, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't like guacamole. She calls it cat puke. Yeah, what is wrong with people, man. What is wrong with people? It's okay. I know, it's, right? It's almost forgivable. Almost. You, ha- you have to love them, flaws and all, which I do. So Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, would you rather, to an event, would you rather fly or drive? It really depends where the event is, but I'm probably going to be in my car. I, I enjoy- now, are, well, are you in your car because you have to be? Like, let's, let's say if, if um, no equipment was necessary to be transported. Or it was going to be there already by the time you got there, and you had the choice of either driving a car or being flown. I'd fly. Uh, which one would you? Pick? I'd fly. Okay. Yeah. If that was the case, but see, for me, uh, ha- having the events I go to, I have to take my bike. Um, and flying, I've flown. I, I couldn't even tell you how many flights I've been on over the years. Um, we have to take our bikes apart and pack them up in bags to to go on the airplane. And there's tricks to it. Like for a long time, we did uh, golf bags. We'd take our bike apart and it stuff it into a golf bag. So when you get to the airport, because if you have a bike in a quote unquote bike box, it's larger than the dimensions of a checked luggage bag. So it's oversized. So they charge you $100 for the oversized checked bag or whatever box. Or they also have like, uh, the, uh, a bike fee, like if you're, so they say if you're traveling with another form of transportation, you have to pay a fee or something stupid like that. So like road bikes and mountain bikes, I feel bad for those dudes because they can't get their the wheels are too big, right? But for a twenty inch, you can take that sucker all apart and you can jam it in a golf bag. And golf bags for you know the fancy, you know snooty golfers, they're free. They don't have to pay a dang thing to get them on the airplane. It's just a regular yep. checked luggage cost. <clears throat> so BMXers being the geniuses that we are, apparently, we decided we would put our bikes, stuff it, take it all apart and stuff it into a golf bag. And then when you get to the airport, you just say – they say, oh, they see a golf bag and they're just like, it's clubs. They don't even ask you what's in it. Or if they ask what's in there, you just say, oh, sporting equipment. Or mm-hmm. my favorite is uh, it's a golf bag. And you just leave it at that. That way you're not lying. You're not lying about what's in there. It's like, yeah, what's in there? No. It, it's you're a just stating a fact. 
sometimes some some golf bags don't necessarily look like quote unquote golf bags. So they're like, oh, what what what's inside the bag? And you're like, oh, it's a golf bag. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they just that's it. Uh, one out of like, I'd say like every 10, 10 or fifteen flights, they'll be like they'll figure it out. And then there's like, no, nah, no, nah, hundred dollars extra. It's a bike. And you're just like, ah, oh. so you get away, you get away with it more than you don't. But I actually found out an even better method that I've never been charged for. Uh, and I, it was, I do shows I, in the past. I've done shows in the Middle East for the troops where a group, me, a group of guys uh, with an outfit called Bikes Over Baghdad, we would fly to the Middle East, uh, to Iraq or, um, you know, Kuwait or Bahrain or Qatar, wherever. And we would do shows on bases over there. We show up, we build ramps, do the shows and for the troops and it's a blast it's the most rewarding thing i've ever done on my bike so it's amazing those trips were amazing because hanging out with good people riding bikes everything's good but i went to the px on the base and you know the little store and they had these bags these like a uh, duffel bag things on roller wheels that fit hmm. the dimensions of a checked luggage the 62 inch you know if you add all the the width height and length up it has to be under 62 inches it's under that dimension but my bike will fit in there if i take both wheels and the handlebars and the forks off i can stuff it all in there with my other parts and it's a nice neat little package and if they find out it's a bike it doesn't matter because it's under the size requirements so they can't legally charge you for it anyway so and it actually mm. says that if you go to the web now this is only really applies to bmxers but if you go to the Every single airline's website, and I did this, and I looked at their policy for checked luggage. It specifically states that you can travel with a bike for no extra fee if it fits in a bag that's under the 62-inch the size requirement for the overall length, width, and height. So anytime I've gotten grief at the airport about it, I'm just like, oh, no, no, it's under the right height. And, and if they press it and they're like, no, no, we have to charge you. I say, go to your website and show me where it says you have to charge me. And inevitably they, they go there and they see that it actually says bicycle is free if it's in this size. And it's so fun to watch people eat crow. They're, they have the little man syndrome. They want to just charge you for no reason. Like, it's not like they're getting any money out of it. They're just like, I'm having a bad day and you're going to have a bad day I, too. And yeah, I, I know learned, the rules and you don't. I learned real early on that when you encounter someone like this, it's never a good idea to dish the attitude back. I'm just, I smile and I'm nice and polite. And I'm just like, oh, okay, if they're giving me a hard time, I'm just nice and polite. And all that happens if you give them attitude back is they make your life worse. So yep. I have been nope, stuck I can agree with that. overnight at a few airports because there was a flight that I could have been on, but they didn't put me on it because they, I was annoyed and I, I told them I was annoyed. I, I, you know, I don't, I never cussed anybody out. I'm not that type of person or anything like that, but I'm just like, Oh gosh, whatever. Like if you're having a bad day, if they're having a bad day, they're going to make your day worse. So I just suck it up and take it if, if I have to, but, but yeah, the bike bag thing, it works great. You can travel. So if I have to choose back to your original question, I would fly if I didn't have my bike, but if I have my bike, I would much rather just toss it in the car and go. I have a van. I have a Honda Odyssey minivan that's amazing. I can sleep in it. I can cruise in that thing. It's a Haas. It's got 380,000 miles on it. It's still running strong. So That thing is a beast. And, yeah, when it, when it pulled up, I was like, man, you – yeah, I, it was almost like a princess land. Like, you came in that thing? You're braver than I thought. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, man. That thing is – a stormtrooper, aren't you? Yeah, right? So, all right. And then uh, last question is, do you have a favorite sports team? And if so, who is it? I only really like sports that involve two balls. So, not really. 
Okay. <laughs> you catch my catch. No, I I, I, I catch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just not the backhand, please. I don't want to catch I, it that I, way. <laughs> I, uh, when it comes to like mainstream sports, I don't really pay too much attention to any of them. Um, I couldn't tell you half the teams out there. Now, I will say this. For quite a few, like a handful of years um, around, I guess it was about seven or eight years ago, just before and around the time my son was born, uh, my wife and I really enjoyed going to baseball games in Dallas. So we would go to the Ranger games in Dallas. So I would say Rangers, Texas Rangers, if I had to to toss one on there. But I I currently am not following Major League Baseball, so I couldn't tell you who's on the team, who's not. Uh, My agent actually works with a lot of the guys uh, that are down there at the Rangers and stuff. So he, he knows all those guys and he's, he's actually got me hooked up with, uh, with some of them to do, to do some, some, some cool stuff. But, uh, other than that, uh, I, I don't really pay too much attention, but I would say if I had to, I do have quite a few Texas Ranger hats, you know, with the T on there. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, Rangers, let's go Rangers. Let's That'd go. be your favorite sports team. Okay. Sure. Right on. That was a, really, well, dude, it was, was a stupid answer, but yeah, that is. <laughs> I, I don't think it's stupid because in reality, like you said, if because if, it's it, to me like the sports um, going to the events is way better than just watching it on TV oh, by yeah. far. Heckling and especially if it's best. yeah, it's the but best. then especially if you're if you're doing it with a family event too, because like you got to realize like you know it's that whole song is like that you know they think we're just going fishing, but in reality it's this whole core memory that we're trying to unlock. Of I remember fishing with Mike. I mean, just actually earlier yeah. today. Um, you know, my dad passed away um, last year and just earlier today, for whatever reason, you know, it's starting to warm up. I'm excited to take my daughter fishing for the first time. And I just all these memories kept flooding in my head about every time my my dad took me out. We, we used to go to this place called Eagle Valley in Nevada. They had a little dock. We'd go there. And and man, we even if we weren't catching anything, I can still just remember yeah. some of the conversations we had and just, you know, being there and, and whatnot. So it's kind of like that thing. So journey, not the destination. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, so it's definitely not a stupid answer because of the fact it's like, well, you got to take your kids to go see Texas Ranger games and stuff like that. Then that's that's a good experience to me. So I, I'm good with that. Although I would say, uh, see, I'm, most people know that know me. Even if you look at the hat, they know I'm a hockey fan. So I'm I'm all about hockey, especially at the live events because it's just way more fun, especially when it's fights. You know, like I, I went I went to a hockey game. It was the first time I ever went to a hockey game, and it was in uh, I was. I was actually in the Toronto area for a Red Bull event, a BMX event the Red Bull is doing. And they took all of us to a Maple Leafs game. And it was Maple Leafs and the Red Wings. So if you ever want to see a slaughter, go to a Maple <laughs> Leafs and Red, and Red Wings game. It was I, I like the funny thing is like the Maple Leafs fans know how bad the team is, but they still love the team. So it's like it's almost like they enjoy going to root for the losing team. <laughs> Dude, the score was it was eight to zero in hockey. Yeah. Game. And it was There's... like by the end of it, they took the goalie out and substituted him for another another guy on the ring, just so, on the ice, so that they could try to score a point. And it just made it worse because there was no one protecting the goal. <laughs> it was it was fun though. I mean, I, I definitely I, I definitely learned you know a little bit about heckling in a hockey game. It was it was fun. We were wiping the nosebleeds, so it was a good, it was a good time. But 
I was, you know, sometimes those are the best, those, those are the best views for the hockey games. Cause when you're down on the glass, like the, you, you don't realize how much of the gloss, the glass will actually um, mm. obscure your view, especially when the play right. starts to go down the ice and you're like, Oh, I can't see them anymore. So now I got to stare up at the, at the big jumbotron right, or whatever right, to watch. Right. But, um, ah, uh, man, I love hockey games. I, that's so much fun. So that's, uh, that's what we have to do. Well, now, and, and one of the things I do got to get down to your area. Cause man, we, I, you, you, there's so much stuff you talk about with like hog hunting and stuff like oh, that. And I, I definitely think there's something we're going to have to, to make happen. And then anytime we can, uh, definitely next time for sure. We'll, we'll schedule a full day of shooting because yeah, the, the few hours we had was fun, but like, man, I, I could just only imagine yeah. what we would have been able to do if we had like six or seven hours to go out there and shoot and stuff. So, yeah. uh, with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to hand the microphone over to you and, um, just, you know, uh, tell people like where they can contact you, you know, who, who are the companies yeah. that support you that you want to show some love to and all kinds of stuff. This, this is your moment to shine and, and uh, just go for it, man. Nice, nice. Uh, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on on the podcast. It's great getting to chat and, and kind of catch up a little bit. Uh, always love getting to come and hang out with you. And and uh, I'm stoked that it worked out. Our chance meeting worked out, and here we here we are. You know, a year later, uh, getting to do something fun like this. Um, my social media is all Texas M Wade. So T X A S M W A D E. So Instagram is what I use the most, and I post to the other stuff from there because I really. I'm one of those guys, I don't like using social media, but I do it because I have to. So if I can stay on one and post to all of them, that's kind of where I do. So Texas M. Wade is my is my uh, BMX Instagram account. And then I also have like the M. Wade Works is my, my uh, group work account for stippling and stuff like that. Um, sponsors, all, all, the spon- all the guys we talked about, Vor- Vortex, Multicam, Noveski, CMC Triggers, uh, Dead Air Suppressors, like... Uh, like then I've got like uh there's I always forget stuff when I'm trying to put on the spot like this, but it'll come back to me. Think about it. Uh, and then I got Hoffman Bikes is my my bike sponsor, my frame sponsor, and uh, Empire BMX is a mail order bike shop out of Austin. Great people, good good humans down there. Best place to buy bike parts from if you need bike parts for freestyle BMX. EmpireBMX.com. That's where you want to go. Um, and then Ethica underwear i have an underwear sponsor ethica uh, makes amazing underwear do yourself a favor buy one buy one pair that's all you got to do and then it's it's downhill you'll never have a more comfortable pair of underwear on in your life and it's like it's the fancy ones it's it's these guys right here that <laughs> oh, guy right there look at that oh getting fresh that's what you Ooh, want this, right there this episode's gonna need a warning label on it <laughs> Ooh, spicy but they also make socks i wear their socks and they and they do clothing and stuff apparel and stuff too and whatnot but uh uh, great, great group of guys over there. Travis Pastrana was one of the original, uh, guys that helped Travis and, uh, Ryan Sheckler were two of the big investors that started Ethica up back in the day. Mm-hmm. And the guy named uh, Malcolm McCasey's the guy that started it. It's his, it's his company. Um, awesome, awesome people out there and, and, uh, and they make a, a really good product. So do yourself a favor, make your nuts happy, buy some Ethica underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Is that their official slogan? No, that's just what I said. And then I've got like uh, some really good buddies. Uh, I do a lot of stuff like charities and whatnot. So uh, my buddies uh, at Tomahawk Strategic Solutions, they do uh, a lot of LE um, training. They're all former uh, Special Forces guys. And they got out and they decided they wanted to help out uh, with the law enforcement side of things. Because uh, what originally started is they heard some stories. One of their family members was on a SWAT team and they were talking about entering a house. And they were just like that's the old way. We don't do it like that anymore. Guys are going to get hurt. Like 
let us teach you how we do it because they've had years and years of practice in the Middle East going into places to get bad guys. And, and these guys are tier one dudes. They're amazing. And they what they do uh, helping out our law enforcement and even like private businesses, they do uh, um, protocol, like security protocol for, for businesses and whatnot. They're growing really fast right now, but they have a charity uh, that they started called Tomahawk Charitable Solutions that they raise money and they're essentially like a, what you would call like a middleman for charities. So if like you're uh, an individual or a business that has money they want to donate to a charity and you don't know exactly where to put it because you're not sure if it's going to go to actually helping people or uh, or if it's going to go to you know padding the wallets, the people that run the charity. There are a few out there. I won't throw anybody under the bus, but there are a few that – 80% of the money that comes in does not actually go to people that need it. It goes more into like merchandise to give awareness for the company to make more money. And it kind of like they pay, you know, a board and the CEO and all this stuff. They don't do that. They literally, it's a hundred percent in a hundred percent out and they vet charities and pick good charities for the money to go to. So if you give your money to Tomahawk charitable solutions, they will make sure it goes straight to somebody who needs it. And they're also able to keep uh, essentially cash on hand if someone is in need uh, and needs something taken care of immediately. Like if they have a loved one that uh, is killed in the line of duty, it's, it's all special forces and LE uh, charities for the most part, and fire department, stuff like that, first responders. If someone is killed in the line of duty or something of that nature and the family needs money for something immediate, an immediate need that is going to take a while for it to go through the system for military or the law enforcement insurance and stuff to, to catch up, to help. Like if they need the money right then, right there, they are able to actually write a check for, you know, 15 grand, 20 grand, whatever is needed immediately in, in the moment. And uh, so they're a really, really great place to put charity money. If you need a place to put it and you're not sure what you want to do with it. I would hands down, you can hundred percent trust these guys. They're amazing. Tomahawk charitable solutions. And then I've got other buddies that like sock F guys are great. Um, military mobility is another buddy who does like off road trips with vets that, that need some kind of leadership stuff. They don't know where they fit in They've They've been, you know, lost a limb or whatever. And they want to get back out and have some kind of a, a job to fill or a duty. It's like, get from point A to point B going through the Moab desert on, you know, four by fours and stuff, really cool stuff like that. They do great stuff, um, in, in that, in that neck of the woods as well. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, there's a foundation that I've done a lot of stuff with called, um, tribute to valor and it is a medal of honor foundation and they do, they work with the youth, a lot of youth, uh, stuff where they go to middle schools, high schools, wherever they can. And they basically teach the value of having good work ethic, good morals and whatnot. And it's, and it's all medal of honor recipients that go and talk. And I've gone, uh, and we set ramps up in the gym, get the kids attentions by doing flips and tricks and stuff, and then have, uh, you know, the great honor of getting to do something with a, a medal of honor recipient comes out and actually talks to the kids and uh, gives them essentially a pep talk on life and then we do like a Q&A where the kids can ask me questions or the Medal of Honor recipient questions. And they they do awesome stuff too. That's tribute to valor. Um, but other than that, man, there, I've, I've done stuff across the board with some other guys too. I know uh, Multicam, they do all kinds of uh, great stuff. Like this is Cry Precision has team Multicam and that's kind of like their charity 
wing. Like all everyone that's on team multicam, like we're not like getting paid to be on team multicam, but we're on there because we do stuff for first responders and military um, charity stuff. So it's kind of like helping raise money for different charities that, you know, whoever you're looking for basically. So like on the, on their website, they have all the guys have like, the different charities that they would want to work with. And, and obviously like what I just explained, uh, Tomahawk is, is the one that I believe I have on, on my page on, on the, the multicam site. So definitely check them out. Nothing but good stuff going on. Those guys are definitely, they got a heart for, for those that served our country and, and, and us as, as you know, civilians here. And, and, uh, that's the least we could do is help give back. So thanks for giving me a platform to say all that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, I mean, we we chatted about it a little bit when you were here and and whatnot. And, and um, um, you've even told me some of the the stories about the hog hunts that you go on with uh, yep. with some of these ex operators that yep. you know gives gives them a chance to kind of transition from that warrior lifestyle to a civilian lifestyle and stuff. So yep. I definitely wanted to make sure as you had you had an opportunity to talk about some of those foundations, organizations, and some of the good stuff you do. Speaking of hog hunts, if you ever want to, this is for everyone listening. If you ever want to go on a helicopter hog hunt which I highly recommend it. It is phenomenal. There's a company out of uh, Temple, Texas called Last Shadow, and they are they are the best at what they do. I mean, the, the Richard Potts is, is the pilot. He knows how to find pigs, and he'll get them out into a big field, and he'll use the helicopter to herd them and keep them in the field while you just go, and you just waste, waste pigs. So good. And all the farms around there, they're calling – like night and day, please fly over our farm today. The hogs are killing me. They're ki- they're eating our crops. Please come get the hogs. And like literally, they can't even keep up with how many people are calling trying to get them to fly over their property to get rid of the, p- the pigs out there. So if you want to get involved, hit up Last Shadow. Those guys are those guys are epic. Barrett, he's the guy, one of the guys that helps run the. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Good, good, good people. Good times can't go wrong and they do lots of awesome stuff with vets too and take guys out and and they've allowed me to bring some guys and and go do some stuff as well uh so they they definitely uh do a great job at that oh yes i would love to go shoot some hogs out of a helicopter for sure i'd love to go shoot shoot, even even from the ground i'd I'd be down i've never done a hog hunt before so we'll (laughs) see i've I've, uh with nra show just ending up i was able to do some interviews with like uh some people from like sightmark and pulsar talk about thermal optics and night vision stuff so it might be something i try and get myself into here i'll say um, this the my absolute favorite way there's there's different ways to, to catch pigs to kill pigs to wild the wild boar, which are a, a huge problem down here in the south. They destroy crops. They cause massive amounts of damage, um, and it is actually considered a public service to literally kill as many as you can. One pig, one female pig in one year will create sixty four more pigs if you don't kill it. Because mm. they can start having pigs, at, I think it's six months old, and then they can have another litter of up to thirteen every three months after that, and the pigs. That second three-month period after the initial three-month period, those pigs are now old enough to start having pigs, and they're having pigs. And, dude, it's just – it's it's a mess. They're not indigenous. They were brought here from Europe, and they just – they don't have any natural predators other than us, so they just wreak havoc. So getting rid of them is a service. It's considered a community service, the same as, like, uh, coyotes are in, in these parts as well because they, they cause problems with the livestock and whatnot, and, they're, and they can be dangerous. Pigs can be very dangerous, but – there's different ways to hunt them. 
night vision, walk around at night, find them, night vision and thermal, the helicopters, you can get in side-by-sides and chase them down if you can find them, but by far the most fun way to do it. And this is what I need. We need to get you down here is with dogs and knives, man. You, you don't shoot them because you might hit the dogs, right? So the dogs catch them, bay them up. And literally you got a pig that is nothing wrong with it. Just pissed off. And the dogs are all surrounded barking and you just run in and jump on it, push it over <laughs> and start and stab it. And dude, hands down. That is the most, it's, it's the by far the most dangerous way to do it. Cause they are very dangerous. They have cutters on, you know, the, the big tusks that stick out there, razor sharp and they're very dangerous. But as long as you know how to do it, you're with some people that are know how to do it safely. It, it is quite fun. And that's what we just did that when I was talking to you about Tomahawk, actually they sell every year. They do a, a live auction um, charity dinner where people pay for the plate. You come in and you can, you can bid on the different stuff. And the big item is a hog hunt, the Tomahawk hog hunt where you get to go on a dog, hog hunt with a bunch of former Navy SEALs and, and other tier one guys. And dude, it's an absolute blast. And they do that pretty close to where I am. So they're, they're always like, they're my, they're, they're my boys, they're family. So they're just like, Hey, come help us catch these pigs. So I get to go out there and like, I basically help them catch and hold the pigs so that the, whoever bought the hunt can, can, can stab them safely and whatnot and, and help out because I have experience with that. So it's, it's just a great time, man. We'll get you out here. We'll get you out here. That's the way to do it. Hey, I, I, don't threaten me with a good time, man. I'd be down to try anything at least once. So, um, yeah, man, so, sounds like a good time. We'll definitely try and, and uh, get some stuff set up. And, and whenever we can, also, I think the, the cool thing will be that um, being that we're both shooter vortex and both gun guys and whatnot, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely make sure whenever we get a chance to film some content. So keep your yeah, eyes open we, for that. If you get, follow we us get Ruben down here, man. We get Ruben down here and get a, get a, well, a good old time. That you know that that might be the way to do. It. We might just need to do like a, a team vortex yep. hog hunt outing or something yep. like that. So we'll we'll have to hit Ruben up about that. But um, <laughs> right on, man. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us and uh, or chat with me at least. And and it's, it's a absolutely. great time. Absolutely had a blast. And uh, we'll definitely Water. try and, and make sure we 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 get some more time to, together on the range and and whatnot. So. Um, with that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hope you guys found this uh, episode as enjoyable as I found it getting to chat with my buddy, uh, Morgan Wade here. So make sure you got, go, go follow him, hit him up, like him. Uh, he's a good dude, good heart. And, um, thank you guys so much and, and keep your, uh, keep your ears to the ground for the next episode of open action with me, John McLean brought to you by arm score precision ammunition. Say classy San Diego. <laughs> I won't say the other version of that. <laughs>